You're tuned in to the NWSL Rewind, presented by Modern Soccer Coach. That's what you call USA, razzle-dazzle. Now your host, Clifton Bush. Welcome to the NWSL Rewind, presented to you by Modern Soccer Coach Education. We are back with a slate of seven games before an anticipated interview with a major major guest and i know i know i know everybody's going clifton hey you say that all the time i do (laughs) you're right but this time i mean it times (laughs) 10 so major major guest that will will have a little bit of a conversation sierra and i will uh, later on um before we get to that interview but you're going to want to stay tuned for sure uh how you doing sierra good lots of games world cup and nwsl so you know, I'm just watching soccer all the time. <laughs> there we go. That's a, a horrible life Sierra leads. <laughs> um, she sits around watching games all day. Um, exactly. So seven matches, though, three week, midweek matches, four on the weekend. Uh, we're, we're going to talk in depth about Orlando and Houston as well as Seattle and Portland. But we just want to give a little bit of a score rundown and kind of maybe get some thoughts out on some of these other games. So 2-1 Orlando upsets or Houston upsets Orlando in Orlando. Uh, and then 0-0 Seattle Rain to Utah. 1-1 Sky Blue to Portland Thorns. Thoughts on the Sky Blue match there? Yeah, I think, um, you know, New Jersey's a team I think that everybody is kind of like, oh, they're going to get that win. And then they either tie or lose. And I think you feel for them because they're, you know, on that cusp of doing something. And then it just kind of, for whatever reason, falls out, doesn't work out. Um, and I think that with Portland, I think they're going to be bummed that they tied this game because I think it's a point that they could have picked up. Um, with New Jersey, we've talked about it week in and week out. You know, I think we're looking to their future. What are they going to look like? in next season maybe not so much this season what are they going to develop now what what kind of concrete are they going to put down to step on for next year yeah it was a some a lot of times we talk about like oh well it was a tale of two halves and right this game to me seemed like a tale of 75 minutes yeah and then the other you know then the rest of the game it was like portland was in full control yep. for 75 minutes and then all of a sudden it was like now we have, you know, Rodriguez comes in and there was just life. So, and then right. you, know, you thought maybe, just maybe, but Portland didn't seem like they were having any of being the first team for Sky Blue to win this to be right. here. So, right. uh, Portland kind of knuckled down on the defensive end and, and at least got out of there with the draw. Yep. Uh, Orlando Pride was pretty much dismantled by North Carolina Courage in Orlando uh, in their second loss in a row. Uh, mm-hmm. Kind of a, a rough one for them. Seattle Rain beats Portland Thorns in the Cascadia match that was very, very rough. We'll we'll get mm-hmm. into that one a little bit later. Utah Royals 3-1 over Sky Blue. And then finally capping off the, the month of what I'm calling June with this one game <laughs> in the 5th of July. Uh, is a 2-0 win for Chicago Red Stars over Washington Spirit, their second yep. win over Washington uh, in that month. So lots and lots of playoff implications, and we'll kind mm-hmm. of wrap up the month maybe uh, towards the end here. But let's get back right into this Dash Orlando Pride game. Yeah, well, I think, you know, it's 2-1 to Houston, and, you know, some people are, you know, Houston fans are going to be upset with us because we're calling it an upset, but it is. <laughs> if you look at standings and everything based off of just how the season started and kind of where everything's going, that is a, it's a huge win for Houston. Um, and I think, you know, like you said at the end, you know, Orlando had a rough weekend. Um, and I don't know if it was tired legs because I think they played prior to that. So they played Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday. Yeah. I think it's right. So, you know, I mean, tired legs have a part in that. And, you know, um, but for them, I mean, 2-1 to Houston, it's it's a big one for Houston to pick up. You know, Ohio scored an unreal goal. I don't know if we want to call it a shot cross, cross shot, whatever. Um, but I'm going to give it to her because it was a, it was a <laughs> bullet upper 90. 
Um, and then you had Huerta who scored a PK and that's her first goal with Houston. Second goal. Um, on, that's oh, second, second goal. goal. That's yeah. right. Yep, yeah. Second goal. Yep. So second goal with Houston. And I think that, you know, maybe it was, it was a PK goal and people will say what they want, but I mean, she's scoring and she's getting points on that team. So are we starting to see a good fit on that team? You know, what, what kind of implications do we have there? Um, but I think, you know, Orlando is direct and they're trying to go in behind Houston. And I think for the first half, it kind of worked. Um, and then after that, it kind of didn't. And I think, you know, you start to see with tired legs and as coaches, we know the more tired you are and the more direct you play and more all that you do, the more tired you're going to get. The more you keep the ball, the more you're going to save your legs. And I don't think Orlando did an awesome job of that in that game of just keeping the ball and moving it. I think they went too direct and I think they almost took their legs out from underneath them. I there's a definite there's a definite coaching implication here, and not to say, um, you know, not harping on on coaches or anything, but it was an interesting thing to see with this game where Edmonds comes off, Morgan yep. comes off, Martha yep. comes off. So you now you've changed. Yep. The, the substitution implications have been a big theme in the World Cup, I would say. Yeah. And certainly in this match, the substitution implications were massive because you take off your full front three. Yep. And all of a sudden, the game changes immediately. Yeah. So it was very, very hard to, like, those goals all come after all three. Like, so both goals yep. for Houston come after all three subs for Orlando. And yep. I don't think that that's something that you can overlook to say. And Obagugu has done well. LaRue's obviously been knocking in goals. Hill has come on and kind of been that spark to score mm-hmm. late, whether that's to tie games or winners. But it has been a real situation where those three players have really contributed. Right. But has the rhythm changed too much? Right. When you have right. all of those players when you, you know, change your entire front line. Right. Basically, I mean, with all within like 10 minutes of each other. Right. So, I mean, for me, the the kind of substitution implications here are very, very bright, um, as well as obviously I think missing penalties has been a, a <laughs> thing for in the league this year. And I don't know, <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know how you would, characterize that but it, i mean it's hurting teams in a very real way yeah. um there's a lot more missed penalties than i think any of us would have imagined at this point um, yeah. so i mean those there's a lot to this game i think in the head spaces of both coaches right um where where it seemed to be it seemed to be there's you know, Houston was able to kind of leave their big players in there. Yeah. And their style finally took hold. Yeah. Where maybe Orlando went away from what you were talking about, which is like how they typically play. Yep. Finding Morgan to her feet, using yep. Marta underneath, yep. using Marta in wide channels. They went away from all that. And then Houston's kind of system just kind of finally took hold. Right. Um, giving up the the three points for Orlando. Yeah, well, and I think you you see that in this game for Orlando, and then you also see it in the North Carolina game. So I think you're seeing, the, you know, the same kind of team that played in that Houston game, you're seeing it again in Orlando. And I think what the kind of something we've seen with Orlando is the consistency or the, you know, with their forwards. And I think if you that front line like you're saying, if you just take them out, it does disrupt that rhythm. I mean, it's like when we talk about goalkeepers and backs. If you take a center back out of your starting lineup or you rotate somebody new in or you rotate a goalkeeper in, whether you like it or not, it's going to change the rhythm, either good or bad. And I think you're 100% right. It changed the rhythm of the game, and you have to play different with LaRue than you would play with Morgan. I mean, everybody knows they're different players, and they're both good players – but in that game, they didn't need, I don't think, they didn't need the the direct in behind. They they could have beat Houston with just possession, keeping it, finding Morgan, finding anybody in behind, and then going. And instead, it was very, like, I felt like it was very just direct, come on, we're going to go, we're going to go, we're going to go. 
And when you're playing three games in, what is it, seven days, that's probably not the way you want to go. <laughs> yeah, it was – those implications are, are the – I mean, that's exactly why we're kind of, you know, dealing with the show in the first place. It's like right. how do you go through these matches and – make the right calls at the right time that don't kind of sacrifice, you know, points at the end of the day. And I right. think that that was probably the biggest decision that Tom Cermani had to kind of face on the day. And it just allowed just a little bit of an opening. And once that opening happened, it was like all of a sudden now the confidence is like huge. And I'm not right. necessarily like a major like confidence person. Um, <laughs> you know, right. not what it's like, right. well, teams just need a ton of confidence. But I think with Houston, they are an emotional team. Absolutely. And so they feed off. I mean, like you could see the post game, like there's a post game with uh, Sofia Huerta. I won't yeah. say exactly what she says here, but check out Twitter. <laughs> Go on Twitter. Right, right. Look at the Houston. You know, and, like, and you can see like they're just so they're such an emotional team. And yeah. so if they're going to be high, they're going to be winning. And if yep. they're going to be low, if they could have just taken maybe the emotion out of that squad, the fight mm -hmm. out of that squad just a little bit by maybe yep. keeping the ball, holding on to it, making Ojai chase, making Huerta frustrated, mm -hmm. like, then maybe you'd have killed off the remaining 10 minutes of the game. And it was right. just not really uh, – I mean, it was just kind of mentally an execution problem for Orlando on the day. Yeah, well, and something we've talked about too is is there's so many late goal, like it, late goals in games lately, and so the question you know now becomes again is this a mental thing? What you know what is happening to teams where we're giving up so you know so many late goals, um, you know because I think that's more of a mental thing, and I think that with Orlando it'll be interesting to see kind of how they turn around because they did drop two games. Um, and my question would be, you know, do you think that they subbed those subs because they knew they had North Carolina on Saturday? Yeah, I mean, those are, <laughs> I would say yes. Except, but. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's, I mean, we have the hindsight of, you know, right, right. Of, a, of a recording a show after they've all done everything, you know. But right, it, of course. But yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, you would be thinking, okay, hey, let's get those players a bit of a right. rest. I and this is one of my one of my biggest pet peeves in the world is like everybody runs around saying you know the two goal lead is the worst lead yep. in like no a one goal lead yeah. <laughs> like i mean if you're going to if you're going to pick a bad lead a one goal lead is definitely worse than two goals right this is an exact poster for that is yep. one goal isn't enough no like one goal isn't the time to kind of go okay whew, we're good. Yeah, Let's right. start subbing players out. I mean, potentially. I mean, and I think it, it bit them a little bit here. And right. now I'm not saying that they're, you know, Samani has gotten his team flying. Right. <laughs> I right. mean, they right. didn't beat the brakes off people this year. Right. So right. it's just in this instance, it didn't work out against a team like Houston that does play on emotion, that does play on kind of. Uh, this is going to be harsh, but like kind of on flute goals a little bit, yeah, you know, like yeah, they yeah. just, they're like, let's hit it and see what happens. And we'll, right. you know, like, and that's, that's their style. Like, that's just how they play. So right. with heart and passion and like right. all those things. And that's a hard one to do one Oh up. If you're playing, if you're playing the Portland thorns and you're one Oh up with 10 minutes to go, maybe. Because right. you know, like right, what they're right. probably gonna do is kind of keep it, and like they're right. gonna try and work it through the thirds and figure out exactly. how there. They tend to possess late in games and right. press early, where Houston is certainly their pressure all the time. They're always going to go direct. They're always like so. Maybe right. it's just a little bit different of how you think about each individual team. Those late goals are like it's it's an interesting. I mean, and I'll I'll move on to the Seattle Portland because it's a perfect time to talk about late yeah. goals. Um, 89th minute. Yeah, with Jody Taylor <laughs> scored in the 89th minute. Um, Seattle Rain beat Portland in what can only be described as I mean, anytime Seattle's playing Portland, whether that's in Seattle in Portland, it doesn't matter. It's a big deal of a game. Um, right. Having lived in Portland for a while, 
these games are massive. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't so. matter if it's the Timbers, the Thorns, the Rain, the Sounders. It doesn't make a difference. These games are, I think, if you get somebody from Seattle playing, you know, Connect Four with somebody from Portland, <laughs> it would be a massive event. So, oh, big game, obviously big implications. And then Jody Taylor scores in the 89th minute. So, yeah. how much of that is down to, I mean, because these are some of the most fit players in, right. <laughs> you right. know, in, in the world. But how much of that is down to the physical ability? How much of that is down to mental ability to try and like stay engaged right. for these 90 minutes? And there weren't, I mean, there wasn't, it wasn't like a lot of, it's not the same thing. It's not like a ton of subs or anything. Right, right. Think were, were different. I mean, you put in Mitch Purse for Andresina, which, I mean, is a different look right like so right. you're putting in somebody with pace who's right. can kind of run a flank but you're zero zero at that point and you mm -hmm. clearly see that mark parsons is going for the w at that point right right <laughs> so and seattle rain and Vladko and Donovsky haven't made any subs at that point so right. it's everybody's going for it right well and i think you know it's the, the big thing for me is that in my opinion, I feel like Seattle really came with everything to play. And I think that they showed out. I mean, their their possession was like it's like 59% to 41%. Yeah. And then I don't think Portland had a shot on goal. Was that right? That Check my facts, on, Yes, you are <laughs> correct, Sarah. So I think, you know, I think that's something, I mean, you can, you know, we talk about stats a lot on the show and sometimes it means something. And, you know, we've talked yeah. about how sometimes possession means absolutely nothing. And sometimes it does. And I think in this game, you have two possession style teams. And so when one of them, I think when you see that Portland's out possessed by Seattle, I think, and Portland didn't have a shot on goal. I think it shows you right off the bat how good they did. Now, saying that, French was stellar in goal. Yeah. And she was unbelievable. It, it, the goal they scored was, I don't, in my opinion, there's nothing she could have done. Um, I think she did fantastic. But I do think that, you know, they just, I thought Seattle just dominated the game. They looked good. It was a great game, but I think Seattle really took it to them outpossessed them, outplayed them, outshot them, and then they got the goal in the 90th minute of it, basically. Um, and I think that it the result reflected how the game went, in my opinion. That Yes, you're right. I was sitting there thinking, Portland's going to win this game, though. <laughs> 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 I mean, like, and, and call that what you will. Maybe that's a, you know, we probably all understand where in the Cascadia rivalry I sit. Um, <laughs> but it's a he's a big time I, I did, Seattle fan, yeah. yeah <laughs> wow, <laughs> love you, Seattle folks. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we might have, yeah. so but it was such a what I did think that on the I thought on the counter it was Megan Rapino and Seattle had so much of the ball. Yeah. That I felt like they were that a lapse was coming in just yeah. their organization yeah. on the counterattack. Right. And it came where Rapino kind of scored the goal first before the lapse for yep. Yep. or before their defensive lapse happened. And so that's kind of where I thought it I thought it was going to be more in how they set up because they were just going forward so much. Right. That a lot of times I think defensively you let your guard down a little bit. Right. Um, those of you listening, go back and if you haven't, uh, take a listen to the interview with Irwin. And it's, I mean, that's one thing that he's talking about is how are you thinking about your defense when you are attacking? Yeah. And Seattle was a little bit disjointed at times in that, right. but Portland couldn't punish them on it. And so that was, that's where I, I thought Portland was going to get it because they're a dangerous team. Right. I mean, they have some of the fastest thinking players. Right. Ever. I, I mean, that's when yeah. you have Sink and you have Lindsey Horan, like these are players who think fast and then yeah. move fast. So I thought for sure, you know, Portland would get it just from 
okay, well, Seattle's been lulled in because they've had so much of the ball. And right. I, I mean, credit to Seattle. I mean, because that was a, a classy cross. Yeah. And I mean, the tap in obviously was pretty open, but we've seen so many misses. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Jody Taylor's top, top drawer. So I, I don't, you know, she's not going to miss that, you say, but we've we've seen so many star <laughs> players miss goals that you're like, why? Right. Um, why at this level does that happen? And right. I mean, at that moment in that pressure, you know, in Seattle where people are, you know, they're losing it and it's going crazy. Life is then that was to me like amazing for her to, to right. get that goal. Well, and I think too, the something we have to think about is Portland has sink and Haran and neither of them got a shot on goal. So credit to Seattle for being, being able to kind of shut that down and find, you know, it's what we've talked about in the past podcast is like these teams, you know, some teams are like, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And that's just how it's going to be. And I think that's the kind of what we saw with Orlando. Oh, we're going to play the way we're going to play. We're going to sub who we want to sub in and it's going to be fine. And Houston said, Nope, we're going to keep, we're going to go at you and we're going to do what we want to do to figure out this, this pattern. And I think it's the same thing in this game. I think, Seattle, they didn't necessarily, I don't think, tweak their game, but I think they did in the sense that, all right, we know Sink and we know Haran are the most dangerous players on this team. How are we going to take care of the situation? Yeah, I think, I think they've made, I think Seattle makes one, one adjustment to say that Long and Utsugi were going to kind of hold a bit more than they typically do. Yeah. So Long has been, like, she's been, it's hard to say because North Carolina has, like, been so good. Right. And McCall Zerboni has obviously crushed it. Yeah. But I want to say Long has been, like, the best number eight in the league this year. But I think you have to give it to Zerboni. (laughs) But it's, like, really, really close. It's really close. (laughs) So you hold Long and Utsugi long enough and Long has a the motivation, <laughs> having right. been a Portland Thorn, and b the ability to just shut down Sink and Haran and Utsugi so crafty. Like I think defensively, those two were able to deal with yeah. exactly the pairing that you're talking about and force somebody else to do mm-hmm. it. And Andrasina and Sernigorkovic have done well, but haven't exactly come through for Portland right. this year. And so I think smart smart move by just holding long and utsugi back just enough to make sure that you don't get punished by haran and sinclair i mean i think right. they account for like all but two of their goals this season yeah uh, thinking haran do so mm-hmm. that's to me i mean wow like that was just smart like just to go okay right. hey, sit in just a half a second right and we'll and we will get it done we have megan rapino we have jody taylor we'll right. take care of it don't worry, you know, right, it's like right. you guys will take care of the attacking thing. You guys manage these players. Right. And to keep those players to no shots on goal, you're absolutely right. Is I mean, they've been crushing people this year. So yeah. kudos to, to Seattle Rain and all of the Seattle fans out there. <laughs> that hurt for him to say this so you all know. <laughs> <laughs> and moving on. So <laughs> we've the that kind of caps off June, um, the, yeah. the June slate, and just kind of thoughts on who's done really well in the month of June. We've we've got July, August, September. Um, I mean, there's very little in September, but July, August, September in the, like, want to kind of keep talking about this playoff race and playoff right. hunt. Right. Who's, uh, who's moving up, who's moving down. Uh, what did you feel for the month of, of June for how teams played? Um, well, I think it's good. There's a lot of movement here. And I think, you know, we have North Carolina who's at the top and by a lot. Um, but I do think that it's going to be just crazy because I think we're like literally in the last third of season. Um, so to see, like to watch, like what's going to happen with those middle, like those two, three and four teams and five. It's just going to be so much fun because I think, you know, everyone's so close in points. Um, I think Orlando dropping their two games this week really hurt them. Um, And they're going to have to kind of 
be on top of their game because I didn't then they dropped down like four spots or three spots or something like that. Yeah, yeah, they've dropped out of the playoff contention. Yeah, so they I were, think you know they were they were three or two. Oh no, no, they're they're sitting in third right now. That's what it was. So they yeah. were second, I think, last yeah. week, and now they've moved to third. And I think they've got to be careful. They can't, you know, they can't get complacent. You know, it's it's kind of like with North Carolina how we talk about them, and it's like they have literally foot on the pedal. They are gonna win as many games as possible and play as hard as they can for every single game because the bigger the gap, the higher you are, the you know you the more confident you are in. Okay, I mean everyone I feel like would be stunned if somehow North Carolina got out of playoffs because well, yeah. they're just so far ahead. And I think that I think they're mathematically. Or, yeah, I don't like, think they can. I think they're like six, six points away from mathematically locking a playoff spot or something right. like that. So. And so it's like, that's for, you know, I think that's the mindset that Orlando needs to be in and they, them dropping these two games, I think they're going to have to come next week and it'll be interesting to see their next game, how they come out, what that score line looks like and, you know, kind of going from there because I, you've got teams behind them that want a playoff spot. And so, you know, I think Chicago's done very well. Um, that 2-0 win for them for Washington is a good win for them. Um, and, you know, I think they're going to continue to do well. Um, Utah and <laughs> Utah always <laughs> picking off points from people. Yeah. Um, so I think it'll be interesting to see kind of where they go. I mean, I just think that middle of the pack race is going to be crazy to watch. And I think that no, it's fun because no one can get complacent. There is no, you know, other than North Carolina being so far ahead, there is no clear second, third, fourth, fifth. You know, I mean, it's so neck and neck that people cannot take weekends off. Which means uh, all of you out there watching NWSL games, you can't take weekends off either. Exactly. Make sure to be catching <laughs> these games. I'll be watching these games. Yeah. I mean, I, so I went through the month of June and like who did what? Right. So Chicago right. 3 0 and 1, 10 points on four games. Utah 3 1 and 1, 10 points on five games. Yep. Uh, North Carolina, 2-1-1, one, one, seven points on four games. Um, Orlando, 2-2-1, two, two so seven points on five games. Seattle, 1-1-3. One, one, so, yeah, so six points on five games. Portland, 1-1-2, one, one, uh, mm-hmm. so five points on four games. Houston, 1-1-1, one, 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 only played three games uh, this month with to get four points uh and then washington and sky blue both zero wins two losses and three ties um or excuse me zero wins two ties and three losses uh, to mm-hmm. both pick up two points over their five games so i mean at this point chicago utah definitely the june winners um, yeah absolutely you know picking up 10 points over the course of one month is massive when massive. seattle and portland picked up six and five respectively uh and so that's the you know orlando at seven is kind of the in between so i think you've port if you're portland and seattle you're going we got to have a better july than we had a june yep um and if you're chicago and utah you're thinking to yourself if we can keep this momentum rolling yep um, maybe just maybe but i mean that's that's kind of how i think this is going to get broken down we'll see at the end of july kind of exactly who are the big winners for that month? And that's probably going to tell us exactly. Cause by then I think there's only, yeah, there's only three or four games left. Yep. Um, And so we'll, if, if somebody can have another breakout month and go on another run, then that's, I think you'll probably be seeing either Chicago, Utah solidify a spot or can Portland and Seattle push themselves into, you know, that two, three seed solidly. And right. so we'll we'll see kind of how that rolls. But the uh looking forward to next week. Lots of lots of action coming up. Uh it starts off Wednesday, uh North Carolina, Chicago, and then rolls Portland into Utah, which would be a big one in Portland. Yeah. Um that's gonna be a, a massive kind Huge of a game. Uh, Saturday's matches, Sky Blue versus Chicago Red Stars, Orlando Pride hosting Washington Spirit, and Seattle Rain bring the surging Houston Dash yeah. uh, into town. Like, you can never count out what Houston is no. doing <laughs> at any point in time. So that's going to be a, 
a definite, definite game for the Seattle contingent to uh, take care of business. So, but with all that said, <laughs> let's get into this interview uh, for this week. Like yeah. I said, big time, big time interview uh, coming. So, Sierra, you want to give us who who the people should be waiting and listening for? Sure. So, um, my my friend uh, Mallory Pugh is going to actually be joining us. Um, I wasn't able to get on the interview because um, I run all over town and Clifton took the interview for us. So, um, but she's a good kid, and I've known her for. A long time. There are pictures of Miss Mal at my Arizona State soccer games when she was a wee bit little child. So my sister and her um, have known each other for a long time and we grew up down the street. So we have a nice, cool, fun interview with her. She's a she's a great kid and, um, you know, she's a great soccer player, but she's an even better kid. And so um, it's fun to kind of get to see where she is and where she's going and I've known her when she was just a rec player and running around doing crazy things with my sister. So <laughs> it's you, fun to see her as a pro. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure Mal is going to enjoy the fact that you like that you just call oh, her. Yeah. She's 20 100%. years old and you call her a kid she's all a the kid. time. <laughs> she's a hundred percent a kid. She will never ever be an adult ever in her lifetime. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm sure she's gonna really enjoy that. <laughs> She oh, gets a she gets a little a little get back. I think uh, we definitely oh got we, we make sure that Mal doesn't leave oh, and rewind without telling us a a, a Sierra story or two. Uh, so oh. make sure to to check out uh, what Mal has to say about Sierra <laughs> as well as just development. She she spends a lot of time kind of talking about what it's like to to develop um, as a young player yeah. uh, in this league in the national team in and what young players can do to to you know i guess be like mal yeah. uh, if you if you really you, know, you really want to put it there so enjoy that interview for sure uh, i know i know i did it was a, a, a great conversation uh, and just trying to get her to see if she would uh, encourage more young players to leave college early and go to the league so <laughs> stay tuned to hear what uh, mallory Pugh has to say about more 18 year olds entering the nwsl absolutely stay tuned for that for sure enjoy your week everybody and welcome to the nwsl rewind interview for the week week 13 week 14 something like that we're we're almost to the home stretch of the season here so our interviews just like the season are getting bigger and bigger and this week is no exception we have mal pew here with us everybody i'll i'll just wait for everybody to stop screaming and applauding uh <laughs> mal is with us here on the interview how are you doing mal i'm great Thank you for having me. This is awesome. No, uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, just you taking some time out to talk to coaches and people out there in uh, podcast land. So thank awesome. you so much. Of course. The Just give us a real quick kind of rundown before. I, I mean, I, no introduction, I would say, is needed. But let us know just kind of how your season's been going. I mean, how, how you've and kind of getting into what your feelings are about this year in the NWSL and just so that way we can get a sense of how you're doing. Yeah, for sure. I think um, so I play for the Washington Spirit and um, I think this year, if I remember looking at, at the beginning of the year, just kind of the rosters between each team and you can really see that there's a lot of depth um, within the league right now. And I think that's amazing. I think that, um, there's so many talented teams, um, in different styles that they play. So I think this year compared to last year's is definitely way more competitive. Um, and there's just, I think there's just more depth, depth with, within each team. So I think that's kind of what makes it so competitive this year. Yeah, I mean, we've definitely been talking a lot about, like, it's hard to see a separation, like, in the table right now. And, you know, a lot of it has to go down to the results and that sort of a thing. But it's hard to see who's going to come out into the playoffs and 
who's like it's very very difficult with the exception of maybe one or two teams on either end of the spectrum it's been super like you never know who's going to win what matches what day and it's a it's that's a it's a interesting thing to look at especially when you're watching matches and talking about matches that sort of a thing yeah i think just what you said i think that you never know like what team is going to win um, and that's what makes this, this league so, so great and so competitive because every weekend, every game you have to, you have to bring it, bring your all. So, um, cause you never know, like the, a team could be in last place playing a fourth place team, but the tables can turn and that last place team can totally win just cause of the depth within the rosters. So yeah, and that's it's such a spoiler at times for those sorts of games. Like, and that's what I think some of the excitement's going to be coming into the stretch here is like you don't know what the those bottom table teams could turn over teams, and it keeps somebody who maybe was supposed to be in the playoffs or quote unquote supposed to be in the playoffs out. You know, and now you've got the World Cup. Germany's not going on to the knockout state. Like, so you've got yeah. those kind of upsets that oh, yeah. are bound to happen. For so sure. give us. Give us an indication of how, because it is a difficult league to play in, and it's you know the the way that it's set up definitely facilitates that. But what is your personal kind of process to prepare yourself to be ready for those matches, for training every week in order to perform at the level that's necessary to be competitive in this league? Yeah, I think. Um, well, being a younger player in this league, I think right now. Um, I'm just trying to learn more and more of how to be a professional. Um, So I think definitely to prepare for the games um, at the end of the week, I really need to like take care of my body off the field. Um, And sometimes we have games that are three, we have three games in eight days and um, you see that kind of a lot. So I think really just being on top of your stuff and, um, with training, just being smart and, um, and we have a lot of help within our teams, um, with sports performance people who manage us very well and, um, kind of help us with that process of taking care of our bodies so that we are prepared for, um, our matches at the end of the week. Yeah. And you guys have some I mean, you have some quality kind of veteran, proper professional players. I mean, who Who is it that you kind of, who do you look to to help you kind of grow in that, like how to be a professional every day, day in and day out? Yeah, I think honestly, it's all on, I mean, on my personal team um, with the Spear, I think we do, we do have a very kind of young team. So I kind of look at the girls who have been in, been in this league for five six years um like tori houster caprice um estelle johnson and kind of like see what they're doing with their bodies um if they feel a nag or something's not too right and they're not going to like keep pushing it um because it is kind of a long season but i think that um just learning from them and then i think um definitely with the national team too i learn a lot a lot from the older players with that team. Um, like I always see Pino. She's always, always on top of um, what she's doing with her body. So kind of just um, observing all the older players and um, kind of just mimic, mimicking kind of what they're doing for sure. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's uh, when we talk about just kind of development and becoming the top of the elite spectrum Mm -hmm. like that's something for all you know that we want to kind of communicate or figure out was like to kids who may be listening or coaches who are trying to train their players to play at you know the Mallory Pew level is like watching those other players who have done who do it the right way every day and just following in the path because I'm sure if you ask Megan Rapino, she would say that there's, you know, a list of four or five people that she's, you know, she used to watch in the yeah. same way in order to make sure that her body was taken care of, her mind was taken care of so she could perform week in and week out. I mean, those are, are great things to for people to hear from you, you know, and I think that's amazing. Yeah, I think um, 
I think a lot of people, I mean, at this level, I think a lot of people think that this is a five hour, six hour job that we have, but it really is a 24 hour job. So yeah, we're on the field for maybe two hours and then um, getting treatment for the rest. But it's really, what are you doing after you go home and um, kind of in those times that are really, really key. So I think it's more more of a 24-hour job for us. No, I mean, and that's – so is that something that you did when you were younger as well, or is that something that you've just kind of picked up now? Like when um, you were, you know, say 13, 14, 15, 16, and it was looking like, you know, maybe UCLA is in the future or whatever, you know what's yeah. coming the national teams i mean is were you doing that or is that something that's been recent it definitely um is more recent just because i have i i'm learning more about my body and like kind of what i need to do to take care of it but when i was younger um i wouldn't say that like i was the best at doing all that kind of recovery and off the field stuff but i think definitely um I did do it and I think that does play a huge role in kind of the development um, side of growing into what you, what career you want. And so how, what was the kind of support like, I mean, from coaches or your parents or like, how did you give us maybe a little bit of a roadmap of like, if there's a, a kid out there who wants to, get to that elite level like what does it look like when you are young to try to work yourself into that sort of a position yeah I think um you see I think when you're younger you obviously like it's not as serious and maybe not as competitive which is completely fine I always say that um you always like want to have fun with it you don't want to take it too seriously when you're that age because you kind of can lose like the passion and you see that a lot with, with girls. But I think that, um, the support from coaches and parents and other teammates is huge. Um, I know for me, my trainer Sterling, he would, he was always like, let's get the recovery in and, he was on top of me for doing that recovery process. And I think, like I said before, I think that can really help the developmental stage. Um, and I think with my parents, just their constant support. Um, and with coaches, I think it's a balance of um, learning how that player can respond to feedback and if they're coachable or not. And I think that, for me, it was very, I had very good coaches, um, growing up and all of them were very different, um, in their coaching style. But I think that with having those different coaches, it was very, um, it was very helpful for me because I learned a lot about myself and how I respond to feedback. And, um, cause I think when you're younger and how you respond to feedback is definitely a huge part of your development. So, uh, that would be a hundred percent. I, I yeah. would, I would say, uh, what, are, what are some of the best coaching qualities that you've had over the years? I mean, whether that was prep or college or yeah, pro, whatever it is, national team, what are some of like the best coaching qualities that you're like, that's what I need in order to be as good as I can be? Yeah. I think for me, um, the best I respond best to when coaches get on me, and when I'm told that I'm not doing the right thing or um, I like I like having that kind of like feedback, like you need to be better. Um, but also like there's there's a balance because if someone keeps on saying like, like, why can't you get this down? Then you kind of just like start to break down and shut down. But I think um, definitely having that like kind of edge and um just that like no bullshit kind of mentality is, is great. And you want, you want that um, with the development of the stage, you want that in college. You, I think you want that definitely in a professional 
environment. You just, you need that um, kind of intense coach for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting that you, that you say that, I mean, being uh, just a younger person, I, I think a lot of young people now don't take criticism or at least that's the the kind of knock on this mm-hmm. next like soccer generation right it's like these players don't take criticism well yeah um they don't take feedback well what like what does that sound like internally to you like so when you get criticized or you're as a player told by a coach or somebody on a technical staff that that wasn't good enough or it needed to be this that or the other thing what do you tell yourself that makes it then externally like I can go perform as opposed to maybe what other players are doing who are kind of internalizing and or making it personal or whatever. Like what, what's the difference between you? And I think what other people say is like this kind of current generation of soccer player. I think, um, I think for me, it's like, you don't take it personal. And if you take it personal, then yeah, it's gonna like, you're going to completely like, shut down and be a disaster but I think taking criticism is you got to look at it like your coach or whoever's giving or a teammate they're just trying to they're trying to help you and they're trying to help you be be a better player and grow so I think um it definitely it definitely like it does come off if something if I'm getting criticized and it comes off like bad or it's about the tone too of which you use it so I think if someone uses like a really bad tone with me then you can kind of tell but I think it's um definitely you just can't take it personal and I think a lot of people sometimes do and that's where um that's where you kind of see the problems that you do yeah it's the it's a hard balance and it's coaches out there it's not a license to just you know lose it i guess on, on players yeah, you know you with a little yeah, bit of a caveat don't definitely want we don't want that <laughs> but, but there is a you know a certain balance i think a lot of times especially with elite players uh at least this is my perception that people sometimes are too relaxed on elite players because they know they need that player to win their games at the weekend and they want to keep that especially in a youth environment you know, you want to keep that player on your team, so you're you're really nice to them, and you let them kind of do whatever it is that they want. But is that necessarily the best thing for their personal development? Yeah, especially sure. if they want to go to the next level, and then the next level, yeah. and then you know, the highest levels. And so it's kind of a balance of making sure that you're very, very open and honest with with athletes. I mean, and that's it. Sounds like kind of what you're what you're getting at to me. Yeah, for sure. I think just being open and honest with communicating is is honestly like you see it not even in sports, like you see it kind of all over. And that's like the best. I mean, that's the only way that you're going to ever solve anything. So I think definitely being open and honest is very, very good. <laughs> the and you've kind of come, obviously, you came into the NWSL a different very, very different path than really anybody had ever come into the league. Uh, it, talk to us about kind of, are you aware of like kind of your impact on like the culture of the NWSL having come in so early? I, I mean, now you have like, for example, like Ellie Carpenter is now in the league as well. So you have another like kind of 18 year old entering this league. I mean, are you aware of kind of the impact that you have on, how this development process is going to go for professional women soccer players? Yeah, um, definitely. I think that um, I definitely do have an impact in um, kind of where where it's going to go. And I think that it's awesome that Ellie, she's in the league right now and she's the youngest in the league. And it just like kind of it, sh- it shows that um, how special this league is because we have an 18 year old and then we have, I don't know how old the oldest player is, but it kind of shows, shows the age range of which, um, which the league has. So I think definitely like I did have, I do have a very big impact with that. And, 
um, personally, like I would love to see um, more younger players get into the league because I think this, it is a huge part of development. And um, I mean, you can ask, you can ask me, you could probably ask Ellie and she probably would say same thing as me is it's, it's a whole nother level. Um, the games are just like a whole nother level. And I think that um, getting those games constantly is, is amazing for your development at this age. I mean, is that something that you would encourage more younger players to do, to do things like skip college and go to NWSL and kind of um, come out early and, and start that process sooner? I don't think I would like encourage it, but I definitely think that um, it is when I went through the process, process, it is very stressful and um, it's a very stressful process. So I think um, you kind of have to think about like what you want and what do you want to do? And um, I think I would love, I would love to see, but I don't, I'm not necessarily like saying like people should definitely skip college because um, everyone's different, you know, and everyone has a different path of, of getting to their dreams. So I think um, it's about learning about yourself and finding your own path to achieving what you want to achieve. Yeah, I mean, that's it's an interesting kind of how the dynamic, because I think you could even argue like you could throw Lindsey Horan in that yeah, category sure, yeah. as well as like somebody who went after high school into a professional environment, may not have been in this league, but somewhere else is like how how much does it accelerate <laughs> how good you can be, you know, when, by the time you hit 26, when you yeah. start in that environment at age 18 as opposed to maybe the the college environment where it's a little bit less, you know, and Sierra and I coming out of kind of college coaching environments can definitely attest to maybe it's not the most ideal place to mm -hmm. quote unquote develop elite athletes. And so just kind of getting a sense of how you feel about, you know, whether as, cause the league will expand as well. Right. So there's going to be more teams and more teams as we go throughout the year. So maybe yeah. there's a, a, a appetite for younger players to develop in a professional environment as opposed to in a collegiate one. Yeah, I think um, definitely I think that I have developed a lot. Um, but like I said before, like you can't um, – everyone's going to be different. So someone might develop better in the college environment um, and then someone might develop in a better in a professional environment. So it's just – like I said, I think it's just – um, kind of finding, finding what, what's best for you. Um, and I think for Lindsay, she, I mean, I can't speak for her, but I think that going over to play for PSG definitely, um, was her best decision, um, and what was best for her. And I think for me personally, it was to leave UCLA early to pursue a professional career was, my best decision um, and what was best for me too. So, yeah, I think, um, I think there's different, definitely like pros and cons with both, um, both situations. And it, you, I mean, and you did have, you know, some time at UCLA training and, and kind of being a part of that environment. And I, and I bring that up for one reason, because I, I want you to just kind of, uh, I, I've heard tale of a pretty interesting story of a, the game you played at UNLV. Mm -hmm. Can you oh, just yeah. tell us like what happened at that game? And like, after like, so I've, I've heard tale of like, there was just like a ton of people there and it yeah, ended up was... being like kind of a, a crazy, just tell, tell us like what happened at UNLV when you played in that match. Um, I'm trying to like think back to exactly. Um, yeah, I think after the game, it was just a little chaotic with, um, fans and stuff, but, um, I mean, I think my, my coaches did a great job kind of helping me out with that, but it definitely was like a little overwhelming for me, um, at that time. Yeah. I mean, that, and that's, I just, cause it, you're playing in a game and typically in college, like spring games just aren't. <laughs> You know, like you just don't find a lot of uh, like 
you know, 1,500, 2,000 people showing up at a spring match. You yeah. know, that's just not yeah. a thing, really, I guess, in the, for those of you who don't know, in the college world. So, I mean, so you show up and you've, you're playing in front of 2,000 people in the middle of the Las Vegas heat. And now you're mobbed by, you know, thousands of kids. Because I think it was a tournament weekend. Um, it was. Yep. It was it's like some kind of showcase in yeah. Vegas that was happening and everybody shows up and now you're 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 there just kind of stuck. I mean, what does that like? I mean, what does that feel like? I mean, is that's got to be kind of a weird, surreal feeling on some yeah. level. I think, like I said before, it's more like, oh, just like overwhelming. <laughs> the, Definitely, yeah. I mean, and that's that's the it, it's such an interest. Like, I think it goes to just kind of that impact, you know, is like how much that impact has and like whether or not that would have been an ideal situation. Could that have been done in college? Like, had you, you know, you're playing a 20 game schedule, you know, what would life have been like? playing in front of 2,500 people in a college environment where maybe all the other stuff isn't taken care of as well. Yeah. You know, the securities, like, it's just not, it's a different thing when you're playing in UC Irvine than it is when you're playing in Providence Park. So that's kind of, would be for just sure. interesting yeah, in sure. arena to see for you. The, so I would, like I said, I'd be remiss. So Mal has come on the show uh, at the strong behest of, of Sierra, who we <laughs> on the show, no love, uh, you know, and always, always revere. So I, I'd be, he- I'd be way out of bounds if I didn't get a really good Sierra story out of Mal. Um, so that you know, maybe we can. Uh, since Sierra's not with us, she was supposed to be here with us, but she couldn't make it on, which is a bummer. But uh, it, do you have any any good Sierra stories for us, Mal? I have two. Um, oh, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> so the first one's not really a story, but um, it's so funny that because me, Peyton, Sierra, or Sierra's little sister, Peyton, she's like my best friend. So we would we would always like hang out when we were little. And see, I, all I remember is Sierra was the most intense and just like the most intense person I have ever met and I think I want to say like we went to it was either like a Vista soccer match or practice or I don't know it was like a high school something with high school soccer and all I remember is um me and Peyton were probably like running around and Sierra was like you two need to get off and I've never been so scared in my life but then like off the field when I go back to Peyton's house and their house I'm like she's so nice and it's so funny and then (laughs) this is funny so we I think it was Sierra Sierra's freshman year homecoming and so me and Peyton like always looked up to our little sisters or our older sisters we always like whatever they did like we had to do so I was over at um Peyton's house and Sierra she like got ready for homecoming and then Bryce came over. And so me and Peyton were like, well, Sierra, Sierra's getting ready for homecoming. So we have to get ready for homecoming. (laughs) So we got on these like dresses and I remember we got on like some earrings and um, just like jewelry. And we legit were like, we have, we're taking pictures with you guys. And like, this is like their time to like take pictures, like freshman year homecoming. Like it's your first homecoming. And here me and Peyton are like bombarding them. It was just, it was really funny. There's a picture of, um, of us. It's, it's really funny. Uh, Oh, so sweet. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Sierra, like, so was she, was she totally cool with that? Like Sierra's, Sierra's good. She was, uh, she's, she's proper. She'll let yeah, you she, get in the yeah. pictures for a bit. And, for a bit, yeah, only for a little bit. <laughs> Did you get? You guys should have tried to tag along. To uh, the actual homecoming. I'm surprised we didn't. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure we. I'm sure we like tried. Uh, she wasn't having tried, any like, of that. Like, I imagine. Yeah. That. Uh-uh, no, that's when it got cut off. <laughs> yeah, that that I could see. She, yeah. she definitely draws a line in the sand. So. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But no, Mal, thank you so much for uh, joining us and just kind of having a bit of a conversation. I think a lot to be learned, um, and certainly we would love to.
you know, anytime you have a Sierra story, feel free. Oh feel yeah, free to bring it to share. us, and we'll <laughs> you know we'll share with the world. We enjoy that out here uh, awesome. on the rewind. So good luck to you uh, with the rest of your season and your rehab and uh, your recovery and all that kind of stuff. And uh, hopefully, we'll see you out really, really soon. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you. This has been the NWSL Rewind. Have an opinion on the games? Let us hear it on Twitter using hashtag NWSL Rewind. And check us out at ModernSoccerCoach.com.